Wow, Yenzi. Our guest today brought back some memories. I mean, to be 21 again and doing your first grand tour, uh, what, what, what a cool way of hearing his experience through his words this last couple, 45 minutes or so. What do you think? Well, yeah, absolutely. And he did a pretty good first grand tour so he leaves us back uh, being basically hungry for more i mean he had some good results he showed the potential so i guess he is one that will come across our screen for the future yeah the one thing that's just so hard because we are from that old school is do these riders feel that they're obligated to do a grand tour so early because of riders like Tade and Remco and Juan Ayuso coming out of the, the woodwork, or is it something that they want to do? But our guest today, Matthew Riccatello, says that he not only earned his spot, but wanted to do his first ever grand tour this year in the Tour of Italy. So please sit back, relax and enjoy our conversation with Matthew Riccatello of Israel Premier Tech. All right. Welcome, Matthew Riccatello to Bobby and Jens. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. Well, man, great to have you on, number one. Uh, number two, hope to see you again at the El Tour of Tucson this November. But yeah, a lot has happened since the last time we saw you in Tucson. Heard you did uh, one of those grand tour thingies. How would, how'd that go for you? Yeah, it was good. Um, a bit of a definitely. It wasn't the plan going into the into the year to do a grand tour. I think the plan was to not do a grand tour this year and plan on it next year. And um, yeah, I kept. I guess as the races went on, it kind of looked more and more likely that maybe doing the Giro would be uh, a benefit to me and like just getting getting a grand tour in in the legs and getting the experience and so yeah i think the first um first time the directors brought it up with me was in i was in catalonia and they said maybe you know let's think about it but maybe doing the giro would be would be a good idea and we talked it over and i wanted to do it and the team agreed that it it would be beneficial they thought and so yeah just uh yeah, it ended up being a really good experience. A lot of a lot of rain, but but it was a uh, still still a really good experience. So, so I'm I totally agreed that it was a good decision to do it. One grand tour per year. It definitely will you will benefit from that in the next year. But um, how did it come to that point? Your season were just better and stronger than you thought, or you had a shortage of riders. They would be healthy or fit enough for the Giro. How did that situation occur? I mean, to um, our uh, viewers, grow, doing a grand tour is not something you decide on a Friday afternoon that you be or start on Sunday. I mean, it's a major adventure. You spend three weeks, day by day, racing one of the hardest mountain stages. So, how did it? How did you get there? Yeah, I think a bit of both. You know, I think we had some guys that were planning to do the Giro at the beginning of the year that for whatever reason, I think that between sickness and injuries, like you guys know, is pretty common. And so maybe some spots opened up. And also I think my, just my progression during the year and how I was doing in these races, the team thought as opposed to going to the race and just, and getting completely destroyed and coming out of it 
tired and fatigued and and uh, not wanting to race for a while, they thought I would come out of it in a better place and um, as a better bike rider. And I thought the same. And so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't an easy decision to decide to kind of change the program a bit and do the Giro. Yeah, I involved quite a bit of talk with my coach and the directors about, yeah, if we thought if we thought it was a good idea for those reasons, you know, it's not something you just you just do normally. So without having it planned earlier. So it ended up being what we thought it would and that it was a positive experience. And I felt like I came out of it a much better, much better cyclist. So, well, let me tell you, Jens and I, back in the day, we didn't have to think about doing a grand tour at the ripe old age of 21 or younger because it just wasn't in the cards, right? You know, cycling is very much a do what we've always done, never put a young guy in the tour. But now, you know, with the young names of Remco and Tade and Juan Ayuso and, and yourself, it just seems like, hey, you know, they can do it. Let's see what happens sort of thing. So you didn't really have much to go on. I'm sure you had a lot of teammates and directors and uh, concierge, concierge people telling you what to expect. But what were the... Let's start with the valleys. What were the challenges as well as the peaks, the successes that you pulled out of your first ever Grand Tour? Yeah, look, the the biggest challenge for me at, at this race in particular was uh, sickness. I think it was hard. A lot of the peloton was sick. Just I don't know what it was. I think maybe the weather, the time of year, the, the combination made it a really... A lot of guys were sick. And uh, yeah, I got sick like two times throughout the the whole race once I think after the Napoli stage was maybe stage six I think that was the that was first time I was sick and got over it I felt like pretty quick I think it two or three days and I felt good again and then I don't know maybe midway through the second week I started to feel sick again and so I felt like a lot of the race was just waiting to until I felt better it was I was never sick enough to want to stop I always thought I could keep going and in the back of I always thought you know I would get better and in the last week and so that's kind of what kept me going but for sure that was the biggest the biggest challenge for me but apart from that I mean it it went pretty smoothly like it it went pretty well yeah so what were some of the the peaks then because I saw that you were climbing super well and maybe right before you got sick the first time and then you started climbing good again, and then maybe that coincided with getting sick the second time. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit about those those peaks of of that three week grueling race with terrible weather. Like you said, the first uh, I think it was stage four. It was the first time we finished. It was a more selective finish than than had been up until that point, and I think I was there was a break up the road I think and I was 12th on the stage but maybe I don't know where I was in the GC group but it was a sprint out of the 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 climbers kind of and yeah finishing 12th on that stage I that was probably the peak actually of the because after that I you know you get a bit of confidence like all right like I I can climb with these guys I was we still had pots of evil at the time and he was going well so after that stage, I really thought, you know, like I have the legs to be with the the front group on on these stages, and 
Pasavivo is going well. And so if I can just stay around him and, and support him as best I can on these, these harder days, then maybe, you know, even, even I can finish in a decent place on in the general classification and things changed a bit later in the race. And we had to, Pasavivo left COVID and we had to change kind of what, you know, like what, what the, the strategy was. And, but I'd say that was the first, uh, yeah, that was a good uh, point in the in the race, and then ah, uh, yeah, I mean, the and then the last stage, that the last time trial, I kind of started to feel like myself again in those last three or four days of the race, and I knew that last time trial suited me pretty well, and if I if I felt decent, that I would would be able to do do well, and I woke up that morning feeling feeling pretty good, and so yeah, I was just was just excited to start and 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 uh do the time trial and yeah that was uh that was a highlight for sure so now that you felt good and you were with the or close with the gc riders on that first sprint then you got sick twice feeling better on a second last day uh, looking at that possibility if you were be healthy all the time What is in your wildest dreams? Where do you think you could go in the next Grand Tours you're probably gonna do? Top 10 maybe? Top 5? Or you go, nah, it's too far away. I do not think about that. Yeah, for sure. The The goal has always been to be to be a GC rider. So I think doing a Grand Tour and doing those three weeks and staying healthy, that's, that's part of it. So yeah, I, I don't know. I can't say the next Grand Tour I do, I'm gonna be top 5, but For sure, to I'd like the next Grand Tour I do to to race, you know, for the overall and and just try and stay healthy the three weeks and be consistent. And I think for sure in the future, I don't know about the next Grand Tour, but in the future I can finish top ten, top five in a Grand Tour. I think I've always felt like I've been been able to recover really well in stage races and even in the Giro I felt the same. I mean. Uh, yeah, without getting sick, even I, I just feel like I almost, I almost feel like I get better as, as a race goes on, which I don't know why that is, but I think it's a good, uh, a good characteristic to have if I want to be, want to be, uh, racing with the top guys in the grand tours. I mean, they're also good now. So yeah, resiliency, I think is one of the top building blocks of an overall GC contender for sure. But I'm glad that you mentioned something about stage 20, that last time trial, because, you know, you only finished less than two minutes behind Primoz Roglic, who not only won the stage, but then he won the the overall as well. And you had time in the fa the, the new fan favorite hot seat. Um, I have a funny story to interject, but first of all, I just want to hear about what it felt like to be in that hot seat in a grand tour that's pretty must have been a great experience yeah for sure it was a, it was a good experience it was a bit it was a weird one because the way this time trial was we uh the road was so narrow and so steep there were no cars and so they had to do waves and so i was in i think the first or second wave and towards the end of that wave and i finished and was in the hot seat and then you have to wait like 40 I think it was like 45 minutes between waves to get all the motos down the mountain so they could start the next wave so um it was a bit I mean it was a really cool experience and I was glad that the following day was Rome and not the stage that I had to had to 
uh, worry about or focus on because yeah, I was just said, I mean, I didn't, the, those 45 minutes you're sitting there, you can't really do anything. You can't even watch the race cause there's no race going on. So, um, it was just me and, uh, Alexis, my, my Swanee, we were just hanging out up there for, yeah, enjoying it. I mean, it was good. It gave me time to take it all in. So, well, my funny story was when you posted that time, I think at that time it was like two or three minutes better than second place, maybe two minutes. And I texted your dad and I said, wow, that was, that was, he ripped that one. And, you know, I assumed that he was there because I thought he was following you around. And he said that um, he was following the race around, but then decided to go back to your apartment in Nice, France, because it was just too hard logistically to get around the time trial. And um, he said that that you texted him back saying something like, um, no worries, you can watch me in the hot seat from the apartment in Nice. Is um, is that true? Did you actually say that to him? Because that's pretty cool. If if that if he said that and then came through with it, yeah, it's it's true. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I was I was pretty. I I wouldn't have said that to the media or to the general public, uh, <laughs> just because it sounds pretty cocky. But you know how it is with your family and close friends. Tops tend to yeah be a bit more. Yeah, you say things that maybe you wouldn't say in front of a, everybody else. But yeah, I was I was pretty confident before. I knew, like I said, I, I woke up, I, I felt good, I felt healthy. I knew the time trial, I mean, it was 15%, I think, for 5K. And I knew I had good legs and there's not much that can... I knew I would do a decent time and I thought I would be, looking at the guys who went before me, I thought I would be in the hot seat and... Yeah, I just was having a bit of bit of fun with him and trying to make him not feel too bad for uh missing missing the the TT, but yeah, it was yeah, pretty funny. So, uh just uh, because I'm curious, what was the smallest gear you used on that TT and how did you experience that bike change? There were lots of talking before that apparently teams have practiced that on a parking lot. So, Smallest gear you used, and how did you experience that bike change on that TT? Yeah, to to be honest, we didn't do too much. I mean, we definitely did not do as much uh, like prep and and research into this TT as like Yumbo and UAE. And but uh, fair enough. I mean, it's not like we weren't riding for the for the pink jersey. So, um, I could not tell you the gear I I think I. I can guess. I think it was a 38 in the front and a 36 in the back, but I could be wrong. But whatever it was, it was it was enough. I never felt like I needed an easier gear, so that was good. And and the bike changed the same. We just uh, we didn't practice it at all before the, beforehand, and just did some like uh, kind of instruct verbal instruction between the the peop the person who was going to be there standing with the bike and and me and surprise it, it went really smoothly I thought I, I had no problems and it's a lot of variables like you don't just with the bike change and even like having a bike computer on one bike and like switching it's just it's a lot of variables and in my head I was just I remember being on the time trial bike and just the whole time 
just being like excited to get onto the road bike and start going uphill because I knew after that there was the only thing you had to worry about was was going hard and you didn't have to worry about fussing around with the bike change but yeah I mean it all went went really smoothly and no issues so I mean that's a new part of the sport that Yenzi, did you ever have to do a bike change in a time trial? I know you raced a lot longer than I did, but I don't think I ever had that or even thought about that, or there was a course that even questioned that. I did one in Tour of Poland. Um, we had an uphill time trial and it went really steep in the end. So um, I did a one bike change. But yeah, in my entire career, just one race. Well, you know, what was also cool for that last time trial Matthew, was that you had Sepp Kuss and Brendan McNulty, who did great rides as well. Uh, three riders in the top 11, you know, gave us a lot of, lot to cheer for back here in the USA. You know, Sepp is, what, 28, Brendan is 25. So they have a heck of a lot of experience, to say the least. What is your relationship with those two guys in particular? Because they're both great climbers. They're, they both came up young and are now on iconic, huge teams. Um, do you look up to them? And what sort of relationship do you have with those two guys uh, in the Peloton? Um, yeah, for sure. I, I look up to them. I mean, uh, they're both of them I've been been watching since uh, you know since I started started cycling. They're they're both super great guys too. Like in the Giro. You know, you and some sometimes you can you can find time to go talk to talk to guys in the peloton and and Brandon and Sepp are both guys that I I talk to I don't know I wouldn't say a lot but more than more than anybody else and they're p- two guys that I really genu- genuinely enjoy talking to just because of how how cool they both are and uh, yeah Brandon's from he's also from Arizona I mean I'm from Tucson he's from Phoenix so couple hours drive apart but it was cool to see like the Americans in that race especially doing doing so well and yeah having guys to talk to like that I mean uh, I Sepp and I talked to Sepp a bit about he was just giving me giving me advice on or comparing kind of my first grand tour to his first grand tour and just uh yeah giving some some words of encouragement and uh it's just they're both both super super good guys and it's it's more fun to to watch those guys doing well when you know they're when you know they're really good guys so um you live in nice correct or around nice yeah in uh villefranche sur mer so it's like um how come then you don't live with all the other english-speaking professionals in girona i mean it looks like that half of the peloton lives there how did you end up over there and not with all the other English speaking bike professionals. Yeah, it's a good good question. I, I was in Girona my first two years in Europe. So I was there yeah, as like a as a nineteen year old and twenty year old I guess and with um when I was on action and uh, I didn't I didn't hate it, but <laughs> I didn't I didn't like it just uh in my head I was like there's no way that I'm gonna do my whole career here in Girona. For me, it was too much, almost too much cycling and too much, like like you said, the whole Peloton's there. So I'd go to a race and get back to Girona and like you feel like you're still in at a race in the Peloton. Like 
there's there's good things and bad things about that. Like it was a really easy place to go initially, just because you know a lot of people there, a lot of English speakers, a lot of people to ride with and and to ask questions about about the place. And but yeah, once you sort of figure it out, it's like I was kind of tired of going out for a ride and like you kind of just want to do your own thing sometimes and you run into people and I mean I'm a I'm a friendly person so I feel like I have to have to like have to talk with everybody and I'd been to Nice a few times before turning professional like as a junior and I really liked the riding and I in the back of my head I kind of always knew that at some point I would end up there and it's a perfect place because there's a good group of Americans. The airport's really close to where I live. And so there's still people to ride with and everyone's not living on top of each other. So there's a a little bit of separation apart from cycling. And I like that. I like that about Nice. I know a little bit of French too. I took French for, I guess, three and a half years in in high school. So I'm not fluent, um, but I'm working on it. Well, you're preaching to the choir because that's where I was based my whole career. And I have to agree with you 100%. But, you know, there are still a lot of professional riders on the Cote d'Azur, you know, in Monaco, Villafranche, Nice, um, Cannes, you know, the whole nine yards. Who is your, like, kind of, what? what's your training group like there? Who, do you like to ride by yourself or do you normally try to get a, a crew together? Yeah, most of the time I, I train by myself, but and to be honest, I haven't spent a ton of time in Nice this year just because I've been at a, either a race or a training camp for, for most of the season. But So I think the most time I've spent in Nice is like two or three weeks at, uh, at one time. And, but yeah, I've found time to go out and ride with some of the, some of the other Americans and also non-Americans around like um, Larry Warbass and Nielsen Paulus, uh, Dombrowski, Davide Formolo, I know a little bit, and he's a super fun guy to to ride with. He lives in Monaco. Yeah, there's a there's a good group of guys to ride with when when you want to ride with somebody. We'll be back after this short break. Now back to our chat with Matthew. And um, all these training camps, uh, we hear it all the time from every rider we we interviewing. Um, it seems to be that's the way it is in these days to be ready for a race. Uh, we never had that many training camps or basically really not really any, right, Bobby? We had the big January training camp and then it just left us alone back home. Um, do you think that's a good idea to be always in training camps? I mean, obviously it helps you guys. You race so much faster than we did in our generation. But sometimes I wonder, like, I don't think my head would be made for that, to go from a race and then more or less have two days at home and straight back to a training camp. How do you deal with like living out of a suitcase for such a long time of the year? Yeah, I actually I actually like it. I mean, I think it's different for for someone like me, like coming from the US, like I have an apartment in, in Nice or in Villefranche, but it's still not home. So it's like, you're away from you feel like you're away from home anyway and um going to these training camps and having the support of the team and being able to ride with your teammates and you know having everything taken care of like 
food and and follow car for for the training it makes the training easier you're able to train harder i think and um for me yeah i mean it's different i think for the europeans like i hear some of my teammates and oh man i like i've been away from home for two weeks i don't know if i can do another week two or two on top of this like and in, in my head i'm thinking like i've been it's may and i've been i've been away from home since since january so <clears throat> yeah it's not like i i enjoy going to the training camps but uh i i can see why someone whose family is in europe and who can take a two-hour flight and go go home would not want to to come to a training camp straight after a race and would rather go home it makes sense yeah it's uh i mean we're asking this question to a 21 year old kid yenzi you know like you know when you have three four five in your case six kids at home i think it gets a little bit more difficult but uh matthew listen you're you're a super young and super gifted climber and you've been in europe you know when you were younger and now with Israel Premier Tech, you're getting to do some of the most iconic climbs that exist on the planet. At your young age, which is your favorite climb in Europe or do you have one? Yeah, I'd say Alpe d'Huez. I've never raced up it, but I've climbed it a couple times, quite a bit, just because actually the first time I went to Europe to ride was, um, I think I was 15 but my dad every year does a camp just with close friends or friends of friends um he kind of organizes it and it's in that it's right by up to as it's actually in a little village called villard reculos which if you go up to who on out which is maybe halfway up up to as and then go left across this balcony road it it's this little village right there and so that was kind of my first experience riding in Europe and yeah I'd say Alpe d'Huez is my favorite climb in Europe I haven't raced up it yet but I hope I get to at some point in the near near future um and what about so least favorite climb do you have a least favorite climb so far I kind of like all the climbs we do in the races I don't know <laughs> I don't know if I could say I have a least favorite um have you climbed well you, yeah. you've climbed Von 2 before I, I'm trying to prod you towards that yeah. one because that's the one that I absolutely hate I mean it's gorgeous it's iconic but Every time I went up it, it was nightmarish conditions or performance by myself. But um, yeah, Yedzi, what about you? Do you have a favorite and a least favorite climb? I mean, you've raced in the Peloton for a heck of a long time. The least favorite is the Mortirolo in Italy or the Madeleine in France. Because in my position at the team, my job was to race full gas more or less from the start, have my climbers on my wheel. Then I race all the way through the valley, either in the Giro, Mortirolo for Ivan Basso, or for the Schleck brothers in the Tour to the Madeleine or Mortirolo. So I go full gas, and as a good teammate, I hand off my last fresh, clean water bottle to my leader. So I be there completely exhausted, no drinks, no water, and my climbers just trying to unfold their magic, and I am completely naked. No water, no food left, and I still have to make the time cut. So I hated these two climbs because they told me every time, Jens, your finish line is on the bottom of the climb. Just deliver the Schleck Brothers or Ivan Basso. So I had never had an easy day on these climbs. Best climb probably was simply because I had a good performance. The uh, Tourmalet, where we put the base 
the basic work done for Carlos Sastro later to win the Tour de France. Um, and I happened to have a really good day, could do some good performance on the Tourmali in the Pyrenees. So that would be my favorite climb. But talking about Pyrenees, Matthew, um, what type of climb you think you prefer the steady and a little more longer climbs in the Alps or the little shorter, punchier climbs in the Pyrenees? Or you like it when they go up in stairs, you can catch your breath a little in the middle. What type of climb do you prefer? Uh, and probably the longer climbs in, in general. I actually don't like when, when they go up in steps and you can catch your breath. I'd rather it just look like there's no respite and I don't know, I feel like that demoralizes people a bit more. Um, but the short, yeah, I mean, I don't like the super punchy climbs. I mean, on, anything over five minutes is okay. Under five minutes, I don't know, it's it's too short for me, I think. I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that you've grown up with Mount Lemon in your backyard there in, in Tucson. I mean, that is, to me the coolest, most iconic climb that I've ever done. Because you just, you start at what, 3,000 feet and you go up to 8,500, something like that. But is there any climb that you've ridden over in Europe that you could compare to Mount Lemon? I don't think so. Yeah, like you said, I, I can't believe I didn't say that Mount Lemon was my favorite climb. I was just, I was thinking in Europe, it's, like you said, it's a, it's a weird one because it's not, it's maybe 5%, but it's 5% for 26 miles or whatever, 40, 45 kilometers. Yeah, and you go, like you said, from seven, 700 meters to, at the top, it's 2,700. So you go through, like, different, uh, whatever you call, uh, different um, climates, different, like, biomes. As you As you go up, you start, like, in the desert and... Uh, yeah, there's. I don't think there's anything in Sierra Nevada. I'd say like that climb, whatever the the main climb is that takes you from Granada up to Sierra Nevada is the closest thing um, that I've done that I can compare to Lemon. But yeah, I don't think there's anywhere else in the world that is like three degrees Celsius, maybe ninety five Fahrenheit at two thousand meters. I don't think there's anywhere else that you can get that type of uh, those those conditions. So now we, we talked about your, your climbing and uh, the Giro. Where do you think you have the biggest potential of becoming better or stronger in training or uh, nutrition, dropping more weed or better equipment, making your TT position better? No, I'm just, 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 just asking, where do you think you could go? I, I actually think I could go better and be doing this and this I could improve well where do you see your future there uh, I think the biggest thing for me is being a bit more economical in in the peloton and just getting to to the climbs having spent less energy trying to move up trying to uh yeah fight for position I think the last year the the thing I've improved most on maybe and I mean I still need to get better at it is just kind of being more of a I don't know how to say it but a bit more um, me a bit, a bit more aggressive in the peloton and just a bit more assertive um, I think 
I don't know, a lot of people say now, like the Neo pros come into the sport and just have no respect for the more experienced guys. And for me, I feel like it's a bit different. Like I do, I don't want to be, I don't want to be in the way almost like on some of these sprint stages or it's hard for me to fight for position towards the front when I know like I'm not going to be sprinting. I'm not going to be, I'm just going to be in the way. Um, so what I've, this year I've gotten better at just, and it's come a bit more with getting, gaining confidence from getting results on, on the harder stages, like that I deserve to be there. And it's just, it's more of a switch, like, especially the sprints, the sprint stages, it's still the same. Like I'm not going to get in the way of the sprinters, but it's more the climbing stages before the climbs. Now it's like, all right, I know I can finish, finish well on this stage and it's more just putting yourself and position and and not you know saying in your this is this is my wheel you know like I'm I know I can finish well on the stage and go behind me don't don't go in front of me and so it's more making that switch in the past I think I was more passive and I'd let let uh, more guys in front of me than than I should just because I wasn't confident in my own ability and so now yeah, with a bit more confidence, you, yeah, you kind of, I still, still, like I said, I still need to, to work on it, but it's, uh, I think that's the biggest, the place where I can improve the most and what will in the future help me the most in, in, in improving. Well, if the interview after Matej Mahoric won his stage in the Tour de France gives you any consolation, you know, even someone like him, as he said, quote unquote, that sometimes you feel like you just don't belong here. Um, so I think that's a very normal feeling. Uh, you mentioned confidence. I think that's super important for, to your development. But, you know, earlier when we started the podcast, you mentioned that you wanted to ride for top 10, top five GC, which these days normally means that you have to be a dominant rider in the time trial event. And your physique um, I would say, you know, Jens was like, do you need to lose some weight? Obviously, that's not the case. Maybe you need to gain some weight. But what do you think you can do to improve your time trialing to get it to that level where you can not inhibit your um, productivity uphill, but also maintain or increase your overall GC position in, in Grand Tours with the time trial? Yeah, I think... As a junior and and U twenty three, even I was some I don't know how, but surprisingly I was pretty good in in all time trials, even the dead flat ones. I, I yeah, I mean as a junior I won a couple. I won the national championships time trial, which was a dead pretty much dead flat out and back uh, time trial, the same Valley of the Sun. So I felt like I've always, relatively speaking, for my size and. I've been pretty good and at, at time trialing and it's something I really enjoy and I actually really enjoy riding the time trial bike. Well, one, I, I think I'm young, but I'm also pretty young still physically. I think I have a lot of, of uh, hopefully a lot more like muscle to, to gain. And um, like you said, I think for me, I think the, the biggest, it's uh, harder to keep the weight on and hard training blocks than to to lose it so i think as i get older maybe put on a bit more muscle mass that'll help 
um, in the in the time trials. But also, I think the biggest thing I can focus on now is just making sure my position is really really good. I think the smaller you are, the more your coefficient of drag matters. Um, and so, yeah, making sure that my position is really really good, and making sure that we have time trial equipment that's on par with with all the other top teams and and then riding the bike which for me is not a pro i mean i i like i said i enjoy riding the time trial bike so yeah just doing all those things and then hoping to develop a bit in the next couple of years and put on a bit more muscle and then uh yeah we'll be there hopefully a follow-up question on that one now that we talk about um time trialing um, you had any chance yet to go to wind tunnel or you do some testing on, on a cycling track with different positions and then you try to find the best possible position on your bike or how did you find your position you're using right now? Um, I went to a wind tunnel as a junior actually with when I was with Lux and um, a junior team in, in the US and I remember working on my position here in, in, or in Tucson and and just feeling like okay yeah this, this feels fast i think this is good and went to the wind tunnel and it was like i think it was like i had the lowest coefficient of drag that that wind tunnel had ever seen and uh, it kind of was like con and so they didn't change anything so it was confirmation that what my position was good and so yeah and then i, I went to the wind tunnel again and this year or i guess the end of 2022 before this year and in, in um, Europe and worked a bit again on my position but it's the sport like if you're not I mean my CDA was good as a junior and you just you really you need to you constantly constantly need to keep making adjustments and making improvements because everybody else is or if you're not you're you're getting slower relative to everybody else so um it's, you just have to stay on top of it almost like it yeah you can't just go to the wind tunnel once and and be set for the rest of your career so well you've had some pretty good influencers in your life obviously your dad jimmy was one of the best triathletes in the world for for decades you were on lux as a junior you came through um the hogman berman action team and now you're on israel premier tech i mean That's that's a uh, a pretty good kind of progression, but you know the top level of the sport, and I know you're you're quite young, but I would love to hear from you, from your eyes, being 21 years old, being a little timid. Are there any concerns that you have in the sport, and if so, would you like to talk about that? I don't know what it could be, safety length of the season whatever but you know we have our ideas on that but i was just curious if there's anything that that stands out in your mind that you would like to see added deleted or changed before the end of your career yeah um i don't know that's a that's a tough question i think it's hard to say like the sport needs to improve on a safety pers from a safety perspective because i think a lot of a lot of that is just due to is is the riders everybody i think everybody is on such everybody is at a higher level now and i think there are a lot more guys that can win bike races and so be, and because of this the finishes the the stages there's a lot more fighting that goes on it 
every day is more is more of a fight. It's not like because of that, it there maybe are more crashes, more there's more stress. I think I I don't know. That's what it seems like. I don't. I mean, I wasn't. A, I've only been a professional. This is my. I'm a. I'm a neo pro, so I don't know exactly what it was like before I was uh, in the in the sport. But it just seems like every race now there's a lot more guys who go to the race to win, and so that creates more stress, and that stress is what causes a lot more of the of the crashes and what makes it look less safe. I, and I don't think that means that this, the governing bodies and the race organizers, there's nothing to do to improve safety. I think it, it means they need to do more to, to improve the safety just because of, of, of that. And as far as what they can do, I, I, well, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe I need a bit more experience of racing and, and, uh, to be able to, to really comment on that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, anything they do to try and improve rider safety, um, I'll, I'll get behind, I think. Um, when we talked, you, you told us that you believe like, um, being more assertive or being a little more confident, um, would help you in the future to get the position you need before a climb. Um, here is what your sport director, um, Sam Bewley said about you. I'm just reading it for you. He is just a great bike rider. His physical abilities are so good that he will be able to do some pretty good results in the not-too-distant future on some big mountains. So I believe that should give you some confidence, right? Because he saw your development. He was at the races with you. So there you go. There's your confidence boost, my friend. You're all good to go now, no? <laughs> yeah. No, it's been... Having Sam as a director this year is like, oh, man, it's... It's, yeah, it was really cool. I mean, he, he did a few races, Catalonia he did, and then I was there, and then, and then the Giro, and I think it's his first year, first year directing, and he, I mean, he, he does an, a, a really good job, I think, and it's, the riders all, all really appreciate that he's only one year out of, out of racing, and so he can all, he can really relate to, to what we're going through, and It's easier to to listen to someone who you feel like is really really gets what what's going on, and I'm really glad he's uh, he's he's part of the team. Well, I I have another question about this being your neo pro season because everybody's a neo pro at one time, but everyone also has one of those fanboy moments, that pinch yourself moment. Have you had anything like that either? I don't know, in a race situation or meeting someone that you always looked up to that has been like, man, I'm I'm here with these guys now. Yeah, I think uh, the first time was actually, I was a stagiaire with, with uh, Israel Premier Tech in Vuelta Burgos in 2022. And I remember like going up, I think it was, the climb was Picon Blanco or something like that it was called in guys were getting dropped and I was there and all of a sudden I was behind Nibali on Nibali's wheel and I was just that was because you're so focused in these races that it's kind of hard to have those like moments where you pinch yourself and it, it feels surreal just because you're so focused and in the in the moment um uh but but that I went Nibali I just remember distinctly like Nibali was in front of me and I was like whoa like You know, I'd I'd been watching him since 
before I even started cycling and the tour was always on in the summer and um he's always someone that I I really like to watch just because of the way the way he raced and behind him on a climb I was that was probably one of the only moments surprisingly that like I really uh yeah it felt a bit surreal yeah I mean there are a bunch of like even this year in the Giro like being just being in a peloton with guys like Roglic and and Garen Thomas it's um it's cool but but at the same time it's for me it's hard to have those moments just yeah like I said because you're always so focused and 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 trying to yeah if you're so focused on racing that you it's it's you don't find too much time in the races to think about that but um, talking races, what actually is your program looking like for the second half of the season? And do you have an eye on next year's Olympics or you go, nah, that's not for me? Uh, with the Olympics, I mean, if you if USA Cycling asked me to do the Olympics, I'd of course I'd say yes, I'd love. But I think in Paris, I think the course probably does not suit me perfectly. There, are, We have guys that are better suited to that, that course than, than me. Again, like if if I had the opportunity, of course I'd go, but maybe in 2028, I think it's in LA and I think that course might be a bit better suited to me. Plus it's in the U S so I think, um, that might be a better, uh, better objective. And then the rest of the year I go, I do uh tour de l'avenir actually at the end of August. Uh, then some of the, I'm not hundred percent sure yet, but I'm pretty sure those Italian one days towards the end of the year. So Lavenier, I think is the big one, the big one, uh, for me. And then I wasn't a hundred percent sure if I w wanted to do it this, uh, this, I mean, just because of the, the whole like professional riders kind of going down and doing Lavenier, but yeah, I'd, I'd started it last year, but got the flu halfway through and wasn't able to finish. So I feel like I haven't really had a, had a clean run at it or, and so, yeah, looking forward to that one this year. That's awesome that you say that. That's always a, a race that's kind of st stood out in my mind. I never got to do it, but I love watching you guys, uh, you young guys do that. But Matthew, listen, we wish you all the best, not only for the rest of the season and the tour of Avenir, but your future there at Israel Premier Tech. I think you've signed there until what, 2025. So it's going to be a nice little run watching your progression. Um, get some sleep and uh, see you on the road sometime soon. If not, we're going to see you, both Jens and I are going to be there for the El Tour of Tucson. So hopefully you're around and we can, uh, well, now that you're 21, we can probably take you out for a beer. Yeah, I should be there. I always like jumping in that when I'm, when I'm here. So looking forward to it. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thanks to Matthew Riccatello for being our guest. Thanks for listening, and please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Bellow production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Kurt Warner. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens, and share your cycling stories with us. Matthew mentioned that he was a little starstruck riding on the wheel of Intentio Nibali. Have you ever been starstruck at a bike race? Let us know please by messaging us at Bobby and Jens. <laughs>